Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Time to bring clarity to the chaos with Tom Horn continuing his look at the prophetic significance of the year 2025, and we celebrate Pastor Appreciation Month in a special way. Thank you for being here today. If we can ever pray for you, please let us know. Our number is 1-800-652-1144. We have a dedicated staff that is here ready to pray for you and your family. Tom Horn is back to continue looking at the secrets and forgotten prophecies surrounding the year 2025. We are on a fast track to a strange new world. And just by reviewing the latest developments of the Biden administration, we are moving, or should I say, being shoved in that direction. In November of 2020, the World Economic Forum released a video to social media titled, Nine Predictions for the World in 2030. Number one, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Whatever you want, you will rent and it will be delivered by drone. Number two, the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. And I want to mention that the flag of the Chinese Communist Party is prominently displayed in the shot. Now we're back with Dr. Tom Horn, author of the new book, Zeitgeist 2025. Tom, thank you so much for being with us once again. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Larry. It's always great to visit with you. A large part of your book argues that at the end of the day, the current U.S. administration may actually be paving way for a year 2025 fulfillment of the prophecy of the Great Seal of the United States. What have you seen that led you to the startling, and I say it is a startling conclusion? Numerous things. For instance, what has led me to believe that we are moving towards fulfillment of the Great Seal of the United States of America, the prophecy on the Great Seal, and that it is connected to the year 2025? You might have noticed where lately numerous leaders in the U.S. government have been making these strange references to the great seal of the United States, and especially to the phrase, Novus Ordo Seclorum. Nancy Pelosi was talking about that not long ago. Biden made a reference to it. Yet Bush literally standing up recently and saying that Novus Ordo Seclorum, he said, is an ancient scheme that is, quote, meant to be fulfilled, end quote. Now, what in the world might he have been talking about? Of course, the Bush family are Freemasons. They've made substantial donations to Freemasonry. I've been at the House of the Temple on numerous occasions, and when you go to the Hall of Charity on the second floor, there's a great big room there with dedications, thanking the Bush family for all the contributions that they have made. And this is not a criticism of George W. Bush or his family. It's simply a reference to perhaps even activity that they're not really even aware of, that they don't really quite comprehend. But something in them, behind them, around them, is influencing them to speak in favor of the prophecies on the Great Seal of the United States of America. I would also say that if people read the book, they're also going to find out what current President Biden is doing right now to empower Taliban and ISIS to fulfill their malahim is also connected to the arrival 
of the fulfillment of the great seal of the United States of America because both speak of an end-time revolution that gives rise to a global leader that they would, you know, refer to as the Mahdi, their coming Messiah. We would refer to as Antichrist, but the great seal of the United States is a reference to the arrival of Osiris, or who the Greeks would call Apollo. So it's very strange, but I believe that this is the era that we are racing towards right now. I have to say one other thing that might be a little bit off script here, and that is the recent call by Joe Biden for federal mandates of the vaccinations. Don't forget, my humble little wife, Nita, over 15 years ago came to me and she said, I believe that God showed me a vision of how the mark of the beast is going to arrive. And in the book, I connect that to the year 2025. But her vision was simple, but frightening in its scope. And she was the first one who ever mentioned this. A lot of people since then have kind of jumped on the bandwagon. But we put it in books and stuff over 15 years ago where she said, I believe that there is coming a contagion, a virus. It's going to sweep across the world, and millions of people are going to wind up dying. And what's going to happen is that ultimately the nations of the world are going to cry out for God to deliver them. And all of a sudden a man is going to come along, Mm -hmm. Antichrist. And he's the only person on earth whose blood is naturally immune to the contagion. And so they derive a vaccine from the blood of the man of sin, and this is how the mark of the beast occurs. Everybody is required. It's a federal mandate. Now, am I saying that coronavirus is a mark of the beast? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is look at what is happening right now. Look at the precedents that are being put into place that ultimately, I think, is marching towards this moment where the prophecy on the great seal of the United States of America is going to be fulfilled. Most Americans and Certainly, I think average Christians don't understand the Great Seal's mottos, its symbolism. Certainly in a 17-minute show, I can't break down each of those details. I do that in several chapters in the book. But they point to the second coming of the god Osiris and Apollo specifically. Osiris is the Egyptian version of what the Greeks would call Apollo. But on the Great Seal, you have the mottos that refer to the second coming of Apollo. And then you have the Egyptian symbolism of the uncapped pyramid with the all-seeing eye of Horus hovering over the top of it. The symbol of the eagle on the front, which is the Roman symbol of the god Jupiter, to whom Thomas Jefferson, one of the United States of America, dedicated to. We are marching towards that moment in time right now in which the man of sin prophesied on the great seal of the United States of America is going to arrive. Mm -hmm. And the trigger events, whether they be contagions or incoming of an asteroid, there are activity that are in motion right now that I believe is counting down. The Mm -hmm. clock is ticking down to the year 2025 and the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, being fulfilled in the fulfillment of the prophecy on the great seal of the United States of America. Well, there is a curious part of your research. You mentioned how famous preacher prophet William Branham may have foretold Kamala Harris becoming America's president in the lead-up to Zeitgeist 2025 totalitarianism. Tell us about that. Yeah, isn't this strange? So I have a little bit of a connection with William Branham. I will tell you that he was not a perfect man. However, you know, the gifts of God are without repentance. I do believe that he was 
a seer. He was anointed in some very strange way, but he was also my dad's hunting partner. Mm. And I actually had a an original version of his book, Order, Conduct, Doctrine, that was given to me from him. But it was in my house when it all burnt up in 2011. But Branham was a very odd man, a very strange guy who made predictions that turned out to be surprisingly accurate publicly and before the event. He predicted that Mussolini would invade Ethiopia. He predicted that America would be drawn into a world war against Germany when he said Germany would be led by a man named Adolf Hitler. He saw the growth of communism under Russia. He even predicted egg-shaped cars driving themselves by themselves in a technological future age, which is only just now coming to pass. So there's a long list of his predictions that he made publicly, and people can go on YouTube, they can watch these old videos of him standing up. So whatever you make of him, he had a gift. He definitely was some kind of a seer. But here's the point. In his sixth and seventh visions, he saw a woman in the United States becoming the leader of the United States of America. She had great power. He said she was lovely of feature, but there was a hardness about her that defied description. Mm. He said she was yet cruel, wicked, cunning. <laughs> she dominated the land with her authority. She had complete power over the people. So he gave quite a description. Then came his seventh vision in which he says that a voice bade him to look once more as he turned and beheld a great explosion rent the entire land and left the land of America a smoldering, chaotic ruin. As far as the eye could see, there was nothing but craters, smoking piles of debris, and no humanity in sight, and then the vision faded away, end quote. Well, Larry, such an explosion could only describe something like an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb, and those weren't even being tested until 1945, 12 years after he publicly gave that description. So the point that I make in the book is this. If Branham foresaw the future scenario accurately, then the possible rise of Kamala Harris between now and 2024 could quickly lead to Zeitgeist 2025 and the consummation of the deep occultism of the deep state. And I would only remind people, we just left Afghanistan. It has become the center of jihad once again under the Taliban, and now ISIS-K is being revived. And we left in billions and billions of dollars yes. of military hardware, the most advanced kinds of helicopters, transport airplanes, light attack airplanes, intelligence and reconnaissance airplanes, tactical vehicles, literally thousands of assault rifles and pistols and machine guns and grenade launchers and all the rest of it. So now not only are they a revived jihad center that is dedicated to what we would call the Battle of Armageddon. They are dedicated to that. And now they're one of the most well-equipped armies in the world and certainly in the Middle East. Now, when you connect that to our current open border policies, you understand why some of our intelligence people in the Defense Department, as well as the Pentagon, are saying we are going to be attacked probably sooner than later. And you even now have the former UK PM Blair out there warning that the United States needs to prepare now for a bioterrorism attack following the Afghanistan debacle and our open border. So we are literally set up. We are sitting ducks, I think, for something that, of course, could trigger 
arrival of Antichrist and his end times empire. Well, Tom, you also talk a lot about famous Freemason Manly P. Hall's The Secret Destiny of America. What did he predict would happen? Manly P. Hall, well, he wrote the book called The Secret Destiny of America. He wrote that book because he said the great seal of the United States is the greatest signature of that august body of illuminated ones, the Freemasons. And he wrote that because he had observed what had happened following the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, where you had the authors of that document, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson, who were commissioned to create the Great Seal that ultimately wound up containing these prophecies of the second coming of Apollo. By the way, why should Christians care? what was prophesied on the great seal of the United States, because Second Thessalonians 2.3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Greek word Apollo. Revelation 17.8 says the same thing. This spirit, Apollo, will rise up out of the underworld and enter into Antichrist. So the prophecy on the Great Seal of the United States is going to come to pass. Manly P. Hall knew that we were a nation that had been dedicated to it. And I mentioned Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson. People say, well, America was founded as a Christian nation. These were good guys. John Adams utterly rejected his Christian upbringing. He thought the teachings of Jesus Christ was foolishness. He believed that the Puritans and the Pilgrims and their teachings about the divinity of Christ and the Trinity was absolute nonsense. Thomas Jefferson was much worse than him. He called the teachings of Jesus Christ the babblings of a madman and literally took the New Testament and cut out every reference in the New Testament with a pair of scissors and a razor blade that spoke of the divinity of Jesus Christ, glued it all back together and had his own version of the Bible that also cut out the book of Revelation that is called the Jefferson Bible. It's kept at the Smithsonian, and sometimes it's put on display. And Benjamin Franklin was probably worse than them all. He was a member of numerous occult secret societies across Europe and then later in the United States, including the fact that he was a member of the Hellfire Club that met across Europe in the 1700s to mock Christianity, to mock the God of the Bible. And in 1998, during a remodel of Benjamin Franklin's home on 36th Raven Street in London, when they were remodeling it and they got to the lowest floorboards in that house and they removed the floorboards to replace them, they came across numerous adults and children, their bones, their skeletal remains that had been hacked into pieces, sawn into pieces, and burned with fire, which led different journalists in London to conclude that Benjamin Franklin had been a member of a satanic cult. Mm. So these are the guys who drafted the original concepts of the Great Seal and then made sure that later on Charles Thompson would continue their ideas towards dedicating this country to these dark entities. If people get the book from you, Zeitgeist 2025, they are going to learn things that are substantiated, hundreds of endnotes from authoritative sources, quoting literally U.S. government official websites and so on, on exactly what was happened, what was designed, and why Manly P. Hall 
referred to the secret destiny of America and said that this nation was formed and put on course towards what he called a very peculiar endgame. Indeed. Well, Dr. Tom Horn, thank you so much for being our guest. Always a great delight and I certainly recommend Zeitgeist 2025. I think it helps us to see the spiritual dimensions of what we are facing at the present time. Thanks so much, Dr. Horn. Well, thank you, Larry, for having me on. Be sure and get the entire two-day conversation with Tom Horn on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or visit swrc.com. In the Resource Center today, we are excited to offer Tom Horn's brand new book, Zeitgeist 2025. In Zeitgeist 2025, you'll learn about the secrets and forgotten prophecies surrounding the year 2025. Get Zeitgeist 2025 by Tom Horn for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Zeitgeist 2025 at our website, swrc.com. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and throughout the month, we have some pastors stopping in the studio to talk about their ministry and allowing us the privilege of letting them know we appreciate all that they do for the body of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. In other words, Christians should love and respect their pastor and church leaders. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, a time set aside each year to honor and give thanks for our pastors who give care and serve us and our communities in amazing ways. Joining me in the studio to talk about serving in church ministry is Pastor Rick Whipple and Minister of Music John Colbert from Crest Baptist Church in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Gentlemen, welcome to the Watchman on the Wall. It's good to be here, James. I appreciate it and kind of an honor. Pastor Rick, let's start with you. Would you share your testimony? How did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Whenever I was 16, I was at just a regular Sunday night service at Bible Baptist Church in Morris, Pennsylvania. And it was just like any other Sunday night service, and the pastor gave an invitation. I'm glad that pastors give invitations after they do their preaching because everybody thought I was saved. I thought I was saved, but the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart saying, I need to be saved. Pastor said, if there's anybody here that's not saved, will you slip up your hand? I slipped up my hand. He says, if you slipped up your hand and you really mean it, will you come down to the front? I went down to the front, and a deacon, Bill Stroop, took my hand. And we went into a room in the back of the church, and we prayed, and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my heart. My life has never, ever been the same since. John, how about you? How did you come to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? Well, the Lord spoke to my heart in 1973, just before being married while attending Draper Lake Baptist Church in Midwest City. Tell me about your call to the ministry. We was at a mission conference in 1971, once again, at Bible Baptist Church. The missionary that was there gave a call for Christian service. He said, we need people to go out. We need people to go out and witness for the Lord. And I said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Then I went to Bible college, and there I am. 
how did God call you to the music ministry? Interestingly, God used a godly music minister by the name of Ralph McCormick to plant his message, even without the music minister ever saying a word about leading singing in a church to me. That was just amazing to me. Well, Pastor Rick, you and I officiated a funeral for a young man together about a month ago. For me as a pastor, funerals are very difficult. In your experience, what is the hardest part of pastoral ministry? That's really, really a hard question for me to answer because I like everything about it. It may seem strange, but doing a funeral of a Christian, of somebody that loves the Lord, is an honor and a privilege. And funerals aren't hard for me at all. The hardest thing for me in the ministry is weddings. (laughs) you got to cross all the T's, dot the I's, and and do all kinds of things. What's your biggest joy in the ministry? Watching Christians achieve their heavenly goal, achieve a, a higher spirituality in their lives. Watch them grow to come up and to see that. I'm one of your mentors, and Brother Fred's one of your mentors, and the joy of it is seeing somebody grow like you to go out and serve the Lord. I've had hundreds of students under me because I've taught school a lot, and I get letters all the time saying that they're in the ministry, they're serving the Lord, they're pastoring their church, and they thank me for that. Do you know what a blessing that is, James? I mean, that'll knock the socks off you whenever you do that. Well, what advice would you give, Pastor Rick, to a young pastor just starting out? Make sure of your calling. If you go out there and think you can go up there and just preach to a bunch of people and everything's going to come out all right, you've got to be called into the ministry. It just won't work. God's got to work into your heart. The next thing you got to do, you've got to love people. The true test of Christianity is this. It's to love the unlovable. It's easy to love people that are lovable. But whenever you're in the ministry, you've got to love people that are unlovable. You gotta work with them. You gotta understand them. You gotta help them. You got to sacrifice. There's two things that people are gonna cost you in the ministry. Number one, they're gonna cost you time, and number two, they're gonna cost you money. (laughs) And so whenever you go into the ministry, make sure of your calling and love people. What advice would you give to a music minister or worship leader just starting out? First of all, I really don't feel qualified to give advice to a music leader except to pray about the order of music, pray about the pastor, pray for the pastor back and support the pastor with music that points and supports and lifts up the pastor's message. That's most important. Well, John, in your opinion, what makes a great church song? When I think about songs like How Great Thou Art, Amazing Grace, each one of them focused on how mighty God is. Amazing Grace compares our sinful condition to God's grace. And the only fitting word is one that these days is way overused, amazing. Amazing is the perfect description of God's grace to us. Great Christian songs use songs that hold up the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Without that, we've got songs today that never even mention Jesus' name. Well, let's talk about time. Pastor Rick, for me, there are days when I get so busy, I don't spend as much time as I should with the Lord. I have to be intentional to make that time. What strategy do you use for consistent Bible reading and praying? Number one, have a place. Have a place for where you go. I have a place where nobody bothers me. I have a place where I can be alone with God. And that place is every morning at the same time. You've got to be consistent. If you're not consistent with that, and don't let anything else get in there at all, nothing. That's your time with the Lord. Now, how long is that time? I allow two-hour time period. Lots of times it's not two hours. Sometimes it'll be a half hour. Sometimes it'll be 45 minutes. Sometimes an hour. But very seldom. But I allow that time. You have to have that time. Well, aside from the Bible, what other book has most influenced your life? 
Dr. John R. Rice wrote a book, Prayer and Answers. That book there really affected my life, how you could pray and how you could see the answers from God. That intensified my praying and it helped my witnessing areas. That book is just fantastic, in my opinion. Tell me about your church. I've been there now for two and a half years. Whenever we took it over, it was the attendance was kind of down. But through prayer and through the work of the people of the church, we're starting to build it up and getting it up to where... I'm comfortable with with what's happening, but don't be ever complacent. You understand what I mean? A pastor should never be complacent. We should always be building and building and building and building. But I have people that love the Lord. And to minister to people that love the Lord, to work with people that love the Lord is such a blessing. I have that kind of a church, and I often tell around other pastors, and they just dream about having a church like I have. And I said, well, bless the Lord, I have a church like that, to where we can go and, and minister. John, I know that you're always looking for people to sing in the choir, so if somebody would like to come and volunteer and be a part of a great music ministry, they can get a hold of you at Crest Baptist Church. Yes, they can. Sometimes I'll stand on the street and pull people out. And, you know, <laughs> Amen. Whatever it takes. Amen. Well, God bless your ministry. Appreciate you, brother. Pastor Rick, last question. What can church members do to encourage and support our pastors? I have a lot of church members that do that constantly. The best thing that you can do to support your pastor is to be there. Amen. It's no fun preaching to an empty church. And then whenever you're preaching to the people, you can tell if they're really getting it or not. And whenever you see people getting it, you say, wow, that there's really a good thing. I get people all the time that encourage me by saying, Brother Rick, I got something out of that message. That's all that we want, James, as a pastor. We want people to learn. I have a heart for young people. And whenever I see the young people watching me, you know, young people play on their phones, they'll do everything else. But whenever I see them listening, that's encouragement to me. I just want to clap my hands right now and just jump up and down. Just so enlightening to me when you hear people listening to you. That's a good thing. You get all kinds of encouragement from that. Well, I know that the pastor is the only one in the church who doesn't have a pastor. So pastor to pastor, I want you to know I really appreciate you. Thank you for what you do to serve the Lord in his church. And thanks for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thank you for what you do. I appreciate that. To all our listeners out there, don't forget that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Show your pastor how much you appreciate him. Take your pastor out for a meal or buy him a book. There are hundreds of great gift ideas for your pastor available at our website, swrc.com. This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thank you, gentlemen. Make sure you take some time this month and let your pastor know how much you appreciate them. In Tom Horn's new book, Zeitgeist 2025, you'll learn about the secrets and forgotten prophecies surrounding the year 2025. How the current U.S. government is tied to America's occult destiny. Lost prophecies from Qumran forecasting 2025 as the final age of man and why historians and intelligence agencies foresee a totalitarian world government by 2025. Get Zeitgeist 2025 by Tom Horn for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can also order Zeitgeist 2025 at our website, swrc.com. Today, we also have our Tom Horn 2025 bundle. Three books, all by Tom Horn, for a gift of $40 or more. The books Zenith, I Predict, and Tom Horn's latest book, Zeitgeist 2025, are all included in this special bundle. 
all three books by Tom Horn for a gift of $40 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order the bundle online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Greg Patton will be living in today's world and will begin exploring the gods of Ground Zero. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to the Watchman on the Wall daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.